0: Golf is just a game of complete unpredictability. You have no idea what's going to happen. You should almost just try and judge yourself by how you respond to the inevitable chaos out there. It's so hard to do. You know, we're all control freaks.
1: And welcome back to another Park Train. I am Evan Singer. We've got Matt Cermak here.
2: What's up, everybody?
1: I think you're buzzing after this interview we just had.
2: It was, it was a great interview. It's always nice to get a, a tour caddy on the show, too, huh? Yeah,
1: it's our second tour caddy, our first uh, friend from Northern Ireland. We were recording from Northern Ireland, Los Angeles, and Chicago. Is that fun?
2: PAR train's global, you know?
1: <laughs> well, uh, we'll get to the interview in a second. But first, guys, in case you're new, thanks for joining. Uh, when you're on the PAR train, golf, the hardest game in the world, can feel easy, right? Well, our mission is to understand why so we can do that we can make other stuff feel easy um, and get better on and off the course we have interviews from PJ tour pros best-selling authors CEOs mental coaches tour caddies um, former pro players uh, like today Chris Selfridge um, and you'll get the motivation to keep chugging and the tools to enjoy the ride that's what we're all about before we get to this interview with Chris quick word from our friends at Roback yo uh, Roback is I feel like they're coming out with new styles every week, um, and every single person that reaches out to us about buying Roback seems to be blown away. Yeah, and it's it's just so the fabric it is fits perfectly. It's so stretchy, it's breathable, and it works. My favorite thing is it works in every situation: golf course, yeah. Zoom calls office, whatever.
2: I mean, 2021 and Roback continues to crush it. I mean, I think you and I at this point might have every article <laughs> of clothing they have to offer except the hoodies. I mean, I got to get the hoodie.
1: Yeah, the those hoodies. Are, that's actually some- a good mention, sir. The hoodies, yeah. I think, are coming back into stock. By the time this podcast airs, the hoodies should be back in stock. Um, so keep your eyes open for those hoodies. I need to get myself one of those too. Um, but I have recently got myself a couple new polos, which I'm pumped about. So, guys, hit the link in our show notes and the bios of our social accounts at The Par Train. Follow us if you're not already. And uh, hit that link, and you'll get 15% off your first order at roback.com. Um, and, do and guys, one quick thing before we talk about this interview with Chris. If you see something you like, get it. Because I've made this mistake many times. I don't know if you have, Serm, where... I think I like something, but I kind of want to wait for something else to come in stock so I don't have to pay shipping twice. And right. the thing goes out of stock because they're selling out all the time. So I just urge you, if you see something you like, sometimes you don't know when it'll come back in stock. So buy it, use our link, get yourself 50% off and be the best looking golfer on and off the course. That's great. Okay. That. Appreciate that. Chris Selfridge, he's currently catting for Ryan Fox on the european tour why don't you give you know chris well so why don't you give a little bit of context on chris's career before we talk about the interview
2: sure chris uh a native of northern ireland um i got to know chris when he was in college he played at the university of toledo with two of my brothers mike and pat and uh so got to know chris over the years And, and and chris was just he was a top player he was top collegiate player in america he was Four-time All-Conference in the MAC, He was MAC Player of the Year his senior year. um, uh, Best scoring average in school history. So um, really a great player, and everybody kind of knew Chris had a future. And he went on to start playing on the European Challenge Tour. I think he played an event in the European Tour and uh, did it for a few years, ran into some injuries, and kind of fell into caddying. So he stopped playing, and uh, Chris has been caddying for Ryan Fox, who, for those who follow the European Tour out there, I think Fox finished sixth a few weeks ago in Saudi Arabia when DJ won. So I've always known Chris to be a great player, a funny guy, and it's cool following him now too uh, uh, as he's catting. So uh, it it was a really cool conversation, right? I mean, he talked about – he kind of was comparing his game to the tour players' games, how they think out there, how he was thinking, you know, uh, great story about Patrick Reed that we won't won't share. He was playing
1: with Patrick Reed had a a good I think a really interesting story of a way that not many people talk about him.
2: Yeah, I think Chris just has such a a a, a unique take on elite golf. Right, he's done it himself, and now he's on the bag, and uh, and and uh, it was just a lot of fun to have him on.
1: Yeah, this was a real treat because we actually didn't even know that Chris is a performance mental coach on the side. So we really got you guys kind of get everything. In one, here you get an elite player learning things that, that he did well. You learn things that he wish he would have done differently, um, catting for an elite player. So there's like the element there of helping someone on a daily basis try and get to the highest, you know, stage in the world. Yep. And then also, he helps people like you and me um, yeah. with the mental game. So, you guys, it's this is a really special interview. And I think there was a lot of interesting nuggets here and it was just entertaining, right? A lot of good stories as well.
2: Yeah, no, it was great to see Chris. And uh, like I said, the par train's going global.
1: We're so, going global. You know, all right, pretty- guys. Well, we will get you right to the interview as always. Thanks as always for listening. We really appreciate it. Follow us at the par train on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, all of them. Um, we're always having some fun giveaways yeah. and stuff there um and uh yeah give us a subscribe on apple podcast give us a a review and that really helps and uh we'll Well, see you guys next sunday
2: well what's the kiev always remember
1: enjoy the ride guys that's what it's all about chris first of all welcome to the show i know you and sermac go way back um this is our first interview from northern ireland so that's an honor
0: yeah happy to be here Um, i'm an avid listener of the podcast so yeah look forward to it
2: chris great to see you we got to thank young patrick cermak for getting you on the show uh, yeah he said you were a must get you know so yeah well whatever whatever pat says right
0: yeah exactly i've kind of got big shoes to fill now yeah but um obviously that we go way back going to college together your little younger brother and stuff so yeah i mean good fun memories you know
1: yeah for sure Absolutely. so chris we want to talk about you and your caddying we want to talk about you as a player we got a lot of fun stuff to go through but first let's start with a caddy hypothetical just to warm you up here um if you could only do one of these perfectly as a caddy, which would you choose? I've got two options for you. The first is keep your player calm and confident. No matter what, you have that ability. Or two, give your player the perfect club and yardage every time.
0: Keep them calm and confident. Absolutely. Really? Yeah, definitely. I'm just trying to relate from the different players of caddy for It's like, you know, you use the word club. It's like, well, does that really matter? It's kind of shot choice, isn't it? You know, that every club can do so many different things. For example, yeah. and the guy I carry for at the moment, Ryan Fox, he'll take on anyone in the world for that. I've seen him hit eight irons, one forty, and two hundred. It just depends what he wants to do. So, you really have to be you have to be in the same uh, wavelength as him. Otherwise, the actual club information is completely irrelevant. You know.
1: Interesting.
2: Calm and confident. That's uh, it's gonna be a good theme here. So, Chris, for our listeners um tell everybody your your story your golfing story where you where you grew up college playing getting. take us through it
0: well yeah i mean uh i kind of see myself as a bit kind of a u- unique perspective really a bit of a hybrid um well first of all i'm obviously a golfer and i still you know i still see myself as a golfer now i am an avid lover of the game i played college golf in america with your younger brother at toledo turned professional in 2015 played on the challenge tour for four years a little bit in the European tour but never actually made it to the to the top level but um stopped playing worked in an office for a little bit that wasn't for me hated that and then uh got in got into caddying via a friend who happened to get his European tour card just the year I quit and he was like well you know let's go do this and I was like all right you know, off I went to Australia and Kept caddying and moved on. Started working for other people, and here we are, two years down the line. I'm still doing it, well, trying to do it, apart from COVID, obviously. But yeah, just kind of, kind of being all over the place, you know.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting, you know, for you. You grew up playing, and you're from Northern Ireland. You grew up playing competitively at a high level there, and then you know you made the jump to the States to go play Division One in Toledo in the MAC, and then you know, you went on to go play professionally, like talk about some of those transitions as a kid, as a player in Northern Ireland and then coming to the States and then maybe, you know, States back to Europe, you know, and and playing that style of golf again.
0: Yeah, obviously it's, it's been quite the journey, but whenever you play in Ireland, for example, it was a lot of like links golf and keeping the ball low and all those things. And whenever you're, you know, back in the day, Walker cup squads and stuff and your attentions on those things and you know, it's very easy to get caught up in that style of golf. But I, I always sort of wanted to be a tour player. I wanted to play in the PGA Tour. I, you know, I, I didn't worry about keeping the ball low and all those, all those things, and you know, putting from off greens. I, I tried to identify my game as you know, looking at the best players in the world and how can I get there. So, I became um, very American styled in in many ways, and that, and you know, probably it's just obviously that comes from living over there. But I, di- I didn't worry too much about you know, Lynx golf and those things. And I know, America, I'm sure you love it. I'm sure you guys love Lynx golf. I've never really been, I guess, because there's not that many tournaments played on Lynx courses. It's always been about like, you know, Riviera and PGA Tour and and all these guys. So it's, I've kind of, yeah, it's interesting. It's only, it's only now that I'm sort of mature and I sort of appreciate Lynx golf a little bit more and all the nuances of it and stuff. So it's been, um been interesting decidedly. Well, i
2: feel like rory says similar things too and not to throw a shout out to your fellow you know countrymen but when he talks about his game and how he was just ready to play american golf high ball hitter you know it just seemed like a more natural fit
0: yeah definitely well definitely from his game i think his game would fit in anywhere really but um <laughs> i uh yeah, it's, you you, look, you definitely see people that can excel at the amateur game, especially in Ireland and in the UK, you know, they're low ball hitters and, you know, they're good in the wind and they can grind out these 72s in the toughest conditions. And I'm not saying that's a skill, that that's a, an amazing skill, but it's a totally different level going to, you know, longer sort of maybe wide open, more straightforward golf courses, if that's the right word to use, and being able to shoot 68 on repeat, you know, so it's, you know, I always sort of, the college schedule and going to Toledo and stuff like that kind of op- opened your eyes to that, you know. So that's
1: that's interesting, sir because not many people talk about that. Usually, people talk about the inability to hit the ball in the wind, hit it low, grind out scores, but you never really think about the result or the reverse, Chris. Of can those guys play? I, you always assume if they can do it in the worst conditions, they can do it, you know, when there's no wind and The course is wide open, but that, that almost would be a, you know, we can get into the mental game today. That would almost be a mental game flip for those types of players. Right. It's like, I I forget who said this, but sometimes the, the easiest shots, the easiest chips are the hardest ones, right. Versus when you've got one option and everything's against you and you just have to kind of commit.
0: Yeah, it, well, exactly. Well, just, just on your point there, it's kind of triggered a thought whenever you have different options, just think Sefi Ballesteros, whenever he was out of position and, and he had sort of, you know, clarity of intention, it was amazing how clear in his mind, he what he was trying to do if if we're going into mental game stuff. But whenever you have various options in you know, information overload, it's like we, your attention's not in the right place for anything. And all of a sudden you've hit a pretty average shot or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, but it's, Back to your previous point there, it actually gets a lot of attention in Ireland. You know, the talk of, and the UK as a whole, you know, the tough golf courses, the Royal Livings and all these places that we play with the Open Championships there occasionally. There's amateur tournaments there every year, but the transition from the Lynx golf and the tough style to, to then, you know, competing on the American tour, PGA Tour, or even the European Tour, when it's very, very different. And obviously it's a, it's a big skill to, to move from one to the other and actually excel and and not many people can really do it. Um it I, I you know I don't want to I don't want to go in too deep here and offend some people, but it's very Let's go.
1: Let's it go is very it, that's
0: what we do here. <laughs> But it, 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 look, it, it's a thing that's not done that well by most, and it's um, and at the end of the day, if if, if your career like me, at, at the time I was fully focused on you know getting on the PGA Tour, playing Ryder Cups, and all these wonderful things, it's like, well, was my attention on trying to keep the ball low and grind out scores in tough conditions, or did I just want to get my game to excel when it really mattered? Well, yeah, of course, I was thinking more big picture, you know, so that's kind of no. how I looked at it anyway.
1: Chris, help us understand what life is like in Northern Ireland. I know there's been, you know, a fair amount of coverage with the rise of, you know, Rory and Graham McDowell, especially when they were winning majors around the same time. And there was a big spotlight put on, you know, your where you're from. Um, but give us a little bit more color. Like what what was that like growing up there? I've only been to Scotland. I've personally never been to, to Ireland. So, um, Maybe give us some context there on the childhood and lifestyle and also like what it was like, because you're only four or five years younger than than Rory's. You know, you watched his career when when he was a youngster. I'm just curious on hearing what that was like.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, Northern Ireland uh, at the moment, um, it's very um, boring because we've been in lockdown basically for a full year. So golf courses are closed. Everything's shut. So. The highlight of your day at the moment is like going for an afternoon walk. So, but on the golf side of things, it's obviously I grew up whenever I was, you know, in my teenage years starting to become a serious golfer. That's whenever guys were starting to win majors, you know, GMAC winning the US Open, and you had Clark and obviously Rory and Harrington, obviously, as well. But Harrington's from the South, but we identify as, as an island here, you know, the North mm-hmm. and South together, even though it's two countries and two currencies. And, I, I, i'm probably going to confuse you but we identify as one country right
1: yeah <laughs> so <laughs>
0: um it's for 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 golf you know you know whenever you play for ireland you don't play for northern ireland or southern ireland it's just Ireland, anyway mm-hmm. so it was unique and it, it's just amazing that whenever one guy did it they all started to do it you know it, it's kind of probably the belief thing you know they obviously had good players back in the day now we did have we did have a major champion a long time ago um in the fifties spread daily but so long ago it, it's just i think whenever one guy did it they all started to believe they could do it and then obviously clark followed as well and he, he was always seen as the guy who like didn't win majors but was a top player and then all of a sudden he wins after everyone else has won and it's and it, i just think golf golf went from being uh not cool to becoming reasonably cool quite quickly, you know. Uh, you know, growing up in school, you know, you're 12, 13 years of age, and you played golf. You know, the girls didn't think you were cool for being a golfer, but nowadays That's it's surprising a more... to me. That's <laughs> yeah, I would well... think in
1: that area it would be.
0: Well, it probably is a little bit more now. Now it's obviously, you know, it's obviously probably still more cool to play rugby and GAA right. and Gaelic. It's a Gaelic football. It's um a Gaelic version of NFL, basically. Mm-hmm probably the simplest way of putting it, but um, it, you know, it wasn't cool back then and they made it cool because it was mainstream media. Everyone was talking about Rory and GMAC and Ryder cups. And, and then obviously the open coming to Portrush, which is just up the road. Obviously that news came along about six, seven years ago as well. So things have got um, just bigger and bigger and bigger. So long may it last, you know, golf's booming here. Just wish we could get the golf courses open.
2: Yeah. It, it, it's cool but, that you talk about it because, you know, Tiger had his impact not America, but the world. And then you guys kind of had this local flavor happen with multiple guys. And like you said, so much success in a short period of time. And, that, and that's pretty, that's pretty cool to look back on. Right. And when you think about smaller countries and what the game can do or what it can be.
0: Yeah, well, it can happen. I you know you read stuff in books, talent hotbeds and stuff and Look, you know, if you relate into other sports, you know, wasn't it wasn't the first guy who, who ran like an under a four minute mile and stuff. And then once once he did it, everyone started to do it. So it's probably just the belief, but no, obviously they're all close friends, Rory and Clarky and Darren Clark and and uh, G-Mac and stuff. But once one guy did it, they probably all started to believe they could do it. And then the, the media aura around it and every single week on the sports news, it was all about golf and golf this and golf that. And whenever you're do- like, basically, northern ireland as a a whole it's a tiny 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 part of the world and if you think of the major champions that come out of there you know it's like for not so much now if we haven't won a major since 2014 i believe is that right yeah anyway let's just assume it's correct so (laughs) but but like from that sort of five-year period or four-year period like we have definitely dominated the world of golf as far as majors were concerned so it's just mainstream media isn't
2: it sure chris talk about your time playing on the European challenge tour and then how you fell into caddying. And we're curious, you know, is is, is caddying something you always thought you could find yourself doing or.
0: Uh, no, 3- definitely not. <laughs> um, I definitely never thought I'd be caddying, but um, talk about, you know, talk about my playing base. So obviously I turned pro and i you know, I got to an elite level amateur player and, you know, was, pretty high in the world and stuff and turn pro and all that and you know had a lot of invites in the challenge Tour my first year and some in the European tour and went and played and it all it all went pretty smoothly and you know it's kind of it kind of leads into what I do now obviously I do a little bit of performance coaching um, mainly in golf but in other sports too basically just from an interest as a part-time thing I got into performance coaching then from an interest from my playing days and and how powerful the mind can be essentially to make you play well, because things were pretty smooth for me in my, in my early stages of pro golf, my confidence was high. My self-belief was high. And, and I, you know, it it might seem odd to some people, but whenever I turned pro, I felt such, such a belief that, you know, I would, I would do things that people might seem as ridiculous. I remember like looking at the schedule on the European tour and being like, okay, right in eight weeks time i'm confident i'll have won three times on the challenge tour to to automatically have promotion to the european tour things like that and then like two years later when it all started going wrong for me you know it it was like obviously i had a little bit of injuries and stuff and things but my my confidence and self-belief had just plummeted Mm. that my attention was then on stuff like keeping my card and people were asking me what's going wrong and then all of a sudden yes i had you know all my my arm hurts and yes it hurt but my attention was in so many useless places that it was Mm. just like and it it took me a couple of years to realize that and even now it's like if I had had my attention in a more useful place how well could I have did well I, I really don't know but I know it didn't help at the time
1: yeah let's dig into this Chris because this is a big part of as you know the things we love unpack for the everyday golfer out there. And, yeah. you know, I had an experience yesterday we can even talk about, but first let's start with you. Um, how, what, what do you wish you knew um, back then? And what would you say to someone that every, all the results are going wrong? Um, a lot of times people derive confidence from proof is in the pudding, right? Seeing good shots, seeing good shots, but how do you maintain Confidence when the shots aren't there.
0: Well, that's if that's a tough question to answer. But um, look, go- golfers, you know, we I know Bob Rotella talks about a story which we're probably all familiar with. But we we typically passively respond to our experiences. When things are going well, we have a good attitude, we have a positive outlook in life. We we whenever we approach shots, we we can see where we want the ball to go. When things are going wrong, we think about well, we don't want to hit it left here. I hit it in this bunker last week, things like that. And then our confidence is depleted and, and it just, it's a knock on effect to every part of our game. We start talking about ourselves in a, in a less positive light. The story I'm talking about, Bob is in one of his books. I'm sure someone listened to it. I'm not, it's one of the old, old time players. Um, I, I really don't know, Arnold Palmer or something, but someone he was working with us. I think it was Sam Snead. I think it was okay. actually Sam Snead, but um basically he was saying that and I think it's so true because I know I did it and I know people do it when when things are going well it's very easy to be positive and 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 all those things that you want you know you could, you approach a shot and all you can see is what you want to do and you feel confident in your ability and when things go wrong it's easier to be positive oh well you know that's fine I can birdie the next hole or whatever but we can easily go down the rabbit hole of negative thoughts and and when you do that it's well, nothing ever good comes from them really does it
1: yeah I mean, even yesterday I was telling <clears throat> I was telling Sermac before you came on, Chris, that you know I'm working on something new, and you hear pros talk about how when their player, and you could look at this as a caddy too um when their player is been working on something new, a lot of times they categorize not necessarily how it's working on tour and how they're taking it from the range of the course, but they talk about it as. How does it hold up under pressure? Right. And yesterday, we, you know, it was the first money game match I've had in a while. Two good buddies. I shouldn't have really had pressure, but I was on a course I've never played before. We spent a lot of money to play there. And I found myself ha- being so tentative. Like I had no confidence on where the face was. I wasn't letting it release. I was holding on to everything. And it's just interesting to maybe go into that a little bit to help people understand like how can they let go right because it's a hard thing you don't want to you're holding on because you're you don't want a result to happen yet ironically letting go is the only way to get the good result you know what i mean it's it's a tough thing to to balance especially when you're working on new stuff
0: yeah definitely look it's you know again it's, it's that thing it's i'm not sure what you were working on but if you sort of simplify things everything you work on on your golf game i.e your golf swing should be about increasing the predictability of the shot and there's such a war on instruction of and and i fall into that trap too i I have a lot of friends who are golf coaches and i'm swinging in the kitchen i'm like God, this position my wrist and all these things and it's cool it's tangible we can see the evidence of it posting a swing video showing your buddies increasing your swing All, all these things are cool they're you know as i say they're tangible but are they actually increasing the predictability of where the ball's going? And maybe they are, maybe they aren't, maybe it just takes a bit of time to bed in, but whenever your thoughts are in so many different places, like you yesterday, as you approached a shot, you know, whatever it was, say a six iron from the fairway or something, mm-hmm. you're probably thinking about five different things. And therefore, are you really asking yourself before the shot? Well, what does a good shot look like here? Or are you thinking to yourself, geez my, my left wrist is just two degrees too bowed, and and then all, there's a pond over your right somewhere and you're thinking oh don't hit it there and then all of a sudden you hit it 50 yards left your our attentions can just be in so many different places that it's
1: it's it's so hard to control you know yeah
2: right yeah Ev, i mean, taking this in here
1: i am you know it's it's i know it's, it's it's a tough thing like i didn't expect it you know and i i coach uh some golfers mentally, we do this on the podcast. And so even Brett McCabe, talked about this once where he was he was in a a member guest. And he got down on himself. And by getting down on himself that he should be responding better because he does this for a living actually put him into another spiral. Right. And so it's, it's sometimes even challenging for those that have the tools, mentally, because you can almost put a little extra pressure on yourself, you know,
0: Mm, absolutely yes i mean it's look you know golf is just a game of complete unpredictability you've no idea what's going to happen It's you should almost just try and judge yourself by how you respond to the inevitable chaos out there but it's Mm -hmm. so hard to do you know we're all control freaks like everyone just wants control a golf ball birdie every hole well it's not going to happen is it
1: right yeah that's a good way to think about it we've never that golfers are control freaks aren't they
0: Oh, yeah, and we live in instant times, too. You know, it's it's like if you hit one bad tee shot, you can easily get a tip. You know, oh, yeah, let's put this forward in the stance. And, well, is it, you know, you, just, you could easily just get yourself in more of a pickle, and then you have six swing thoughts, and you might Chris, quit the game, you know?
2: Yeah. Chris, <laughs> you were talking about, you know, you, you you've used the word attention and kind of understand how to control, like, your attention to detail and things, and you talked about, you know, coming into the challenge tour and having a ton of confidence, then you have a few bad weeks, and like your whole mindset is altered, so yeah. as a player, as a caddy, as a performance coach, if you have that bad tournament or your student has that bad tournament or your or Ryan Fox has that bad tournament, what's it like the next few days? like what what have you learned in terms of how to keep because my our older brother Joe played at the mini tours, and it's yeah. this constant battle of how much money do I have? You know, I, I need to make the cut. I don't know if I'm going to be out here next year. Like, uh, like, how, how, what, what is that process like after those that bad little run? That helps you kind of right the ship, so to speak.
0: Well, obviously, it's different for everyone. But what I would do would just try <laughs> to get away from it. Try not, try not to think about it first of all. Um, it can be tough. You know, easy. It, yeah, absolutely. Like this year at the US Open, for example, caddying for Foxy on Friday, he just he just had a bad, really bad day, really bad tea times as well. He was out late at the Greens or wing foot this year in September, right? Um and, and he shot 85. And it was just terror. He, he went 36 holes and he didn't have a birdie, just a really, you know, for a pro golfer. He, but he was laughing at himself. He'd such a good attitude about it. And that kind of hit home for me. It was like and and a couple of weeks later at Wentworth, he you know he did a really good week he came 20th you know he picked up like 80,000 in one week you know which for it's a lot of money so it, I, I think overcoming those things and you know conquering sort of those negative thoughts and distractions and when everything's going wrong it, you know mental toughness is one of the keys if not the key to success and it's just being able to deal with that and and much of it is about positivity and optimism and being able to sort of think ahead and what you want to happen rather than dwelling on the bad things that have happened but it's a lot easier to sit here and say because I didn't do it I I did a terrible job of it whenever I played a horrendous job so but it's sort of learning as we go isn't it I bet you didn't do a very good job of that yesterday Evan
1: no and I think uh (laughs) I I felt exactly what Sir Mac just said. What was the word you used? Suffocating? Yeah, because it's just uh you know, especially Ryan Fox and you when you were playing Chris, like a lot of times we identify with our performance. We identify with our scores. And it's really easy for your automatic negative thoughts to take over and say, you know, I do a golf podcast every week. I'm helping people on the course mentally. I coach companies about how to manage stress professionally. And I'm a total mess out here. You know, and I think I let the spiral overtake me a lot of times because, you know, I've been really excited about what I've been working on. I've thought about the downswing in a way that I never have before. And, you know, I played baseball early on. So I've been kind of fighting, you know, the classic amateur pull down with the hand instead of turning and rotating. And for the first time in a while, ball striking felt easy, and to go from that and a lot of promise right and excitement to feeling like I don't know where the face is was really challenging, you know, especially when you got a little money on the line, you spent a lot of money on a good yeah. course like it was it was definitely challenging
0: well that's that's the challenge of the game. you probably felt in total control for a for a small period of time. You probably hit some really good shots, but yeah. Look, it's it's um it's sort of always reminding yourself that like you can only really judge yourself in the things you can control, like your attitude and you know golf is a game. Of, it's just complete. Mis- it's all how bad is your is your how good is your bad shots essentially. Like you you say you, you feel of control in the downswing and and that's great. And again, you know if you play better, you know brilliant. But if you're going to hit some horrific shots along the way, well, it's probably not that useful for you, is it? Maybe you just need to train it a bit more.
1: Yeah. Chris, I'd love to hear like and I think you should take this as a compliment. Uh, but (laughs) Serm said that you're you're known as kind of like the classic boring ball striker, right? Like you wear people down by continually hitting consistent, straight ball flight. And a lot of people, I think, try and be the hero. Well, maybe we mm. should be striving to be more boring on the course.
0: Yeah, well, I mean that's probably easy to say for me with my game. I remember the running joke was in college, like you know, you get the you get the stats from a tournament. You go to a fifty-four hole tournament. I used to lead the field in pars every week. You know, obviously a good yeah, literally literally <laughs> fifty-four holes. I would have like forty-two pars. Now, obviously, you want to have more birdies, and a lot of those tournaments, I might have might have had some pretty average results, you know, like say T12 or something, but I literally did just bore people to death while I played golf. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can take that as a compliment, but With Chris, my golf's a little, a little bit more exciting nowadays, I can assure you.
2: <laughs> Chris, that is, I mean, I love that 42 pars and 54 holes. And, and that can be tough in college golf too, as we were talking about inclement weather or playing in the spring. So that's that's why your you know your stroke averages were at seventy two and you were just you're just always in it like so you had what a, a run of top fives or top sixes your senior year just every week you were there but that's self belief right Chris because you might say look I'm playing with a lot of all the great players around the world in a college tournament that guy might hit it higher that guy might hit it farther but like I'm so good at what I do right mm-hmm. and you train you train your mind to just double down on that right i mean i think it's, it's 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 college golf it's easy to lose sight of that too right yeah you yeah well
0: I, it's funny actually you say that in college golf i would have never been like that with other people literally just worried about my game what can i do how can i have a birdie this whole this you know this is what my attention's on but whenever I whenever i'll get into the pro game and you see the same guys every week and some of these guys are really good you know like you know, doing really well now, you guys, you know, winning the PGA Tour, European Tour, you know, playing Ryder Cups and stuff. it used to get so caught up and, geez, they're so much better than me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's knock on effect. Two months later, your self confidence is shattered, your stroke averages up, and you're missing more cuts. Well, did that work? It didn't. Get back to yourself, you know?
2: Right. Well, I guess I'm curious too, like, now that you're, I mean, you've been inside the ropes for a while, but as a caddy, it's definitely a unique perspective. What have you picked up on maybe now that you can, you know, you're actually, you know, watching the play unfold with these guys, especially on the weekends. Like, you know, I, I tend to notice these guys really, they breathe well, they keep the routine so well, but mm. if you had to get specific on what those separators are um, of why those guys are the guys that really make a lot of money versus the guys that don't
0: Tough question. Um, Right. So yeah. one th- I'm, ch- I'm just trying to think of one thing i noticed this year so we actually played at wentworth with patrick reed in the two ball right now everyone has their own unique opinions on patrick reed right. so we'll <laughs> we'll, not, we'll not get into that however i played in we played in the two ball with him on saturday um no fans of course with covid my experience with patrick reed was he was the most friendliest guy chatty just, yeah. just a really, really good bloke. Just, he just seemed genuine. I mean, he's talking about Guinness and Ireland and all these things. But anyway, I noticed that this is a tournament in England, right? Wentworth and Patrick Reed's schedule shouldn't, probably, not that important. It's such a good attitude. At one stage, he holds like an eight-foot par putt on the fifth hole of round three while he's like four off the lead, and he fist pumped it. And I, w- I was a bit like, really? It, it it seemed like he was really attached to it, but between shots, he was really, he, he was so positive. He was so, and whenever he hit a bad shot, he got his wedge out and he'd such a swagger about him. And he was just so, he was so in it. You could see how competitive he was. And I can sort of see why people might not like him because I was a bit taken back by his fist pumping antics, especially when, you know, this is a major champion here. But it, he was just, he was so in. The moment he was so in his routine he was so embraced in the sort of the the uncertainties of the game when he missed the green he was he, it almost looked like he loved the opportunity to chip in you know
2: mm-hmm. it was, it was he, he'd get he'd get in it right and then he'd get out of it and then he'd get right back yeah. like, right that's that's so important to have that balance right hit the shot yeah having a laugh having a walk and then back in that zone but that's interesting chris when you talk about it's almost like he was just wanted that opportunity to to make that chip or hit that tough bunker shot.
0: Yeah, he hit, he hit some. T- well, I'm you know, obviously it, it, as a caddy, you become you become very um, critical of bad shots until you go play yourself in a week off, and then you realize what a bad shot really is. You know, <laughs> but yeah, you do like trust me, I do it all the time. Like Foxy hits a, a a two iron Indie fairway bunker, and obviously, I'm not saying this out loud, but I'm thinking to myself. Oh, and you go play yourself and you've like fatted it you know but it, <laughs> but yeah but anyway patrick just seemed to have such a when he missed the green he hit some like hit some bad shots that day right like some pretty poor shots and you know, missing greens would say eight arms and stuff but it, it looked like he loved he really embraced and loved the opportunity to chip in you know and i remember watching the yeah. dubai world championship leader in the year in the tv here in my living room and it was he chipped in like three times in that round and you and like his attitude to golf is obviously that it's not always going to be perfect. And this is a guy who's at the top of the game. And it's just like he had that. I just think his mindset is really allowing him to excel, you know?
1: Yeah, it's almost like his competitiveness. We think of his competitiveness as the Ryder Cup, like waving yeah. his finger at Rory and not being liked on tour and kind of using that as fuel of just me against the world. But it actually sounds like maybe his performance is driven by his perf- his competitiveness against himself his competitiveness against every shot right of just almost like a match within a a shot like every shot is a new match right and okay the ball mm-hmm. is over here it's kind of like you with your buddies where you you're doing a chip off and you decide to put it one behind the tree right like max Holmes shot yesterday like it yeah. seems to me from what you're saying that that's kind of his mentality
0: yeah yeah definitely it seemed that way he just he just had a strong desire it seemed for like the uncertainties of the game and all the different aspects of the game it wasn't always about pretty golf and I, you know as far as the Ryder Cup thing it, the, the feeling I got often would be like he would love to annoy people by chipping in for birdie while mm-hmm. someone's 10 foot away for birdie you know and that, and that's the end of the, day, it's the essence of the game you know it's it's not, it's not all about the pretty shots and, and holding the 10-footers for birdie. If you can hold a bunker shot and stuff. But look, we, you could go on forever about this stuff, but it was just, it was surreal to see up close, you know, and sort of think, wow, is that really what the game's all about? Well, it is, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny. Like, think about it, Serm. Like, most amateurs, you're in the driver's seat and you're in a match. You're putting yourself down in that scenario of, oh, now I got to, like, I'm behind the eight ball. I got I to gotta come back and, oh, I don't blow it. Where that's the opposite mindset of Patrick Reed. I love that. That's Patrick Reed saying, okay, well, I'm going to chip this in and put the pressure back on him, right? How awesome is that going to be?
2: A little like Seve too, right, Chris? I mean, you watch the old Seve videos, and obviously he was kind of known for hitting all over the lot, but just – you know, making birdie from everywhere, but you watch those close-ups of Seve ripping six iron, and he's got this look on it, it's this possessed look on his face, right? Like does that rebound finish, yeah. and like just so, like, and I think those looks can come onto like the average player's face. I have like if you're playing in a team event against your buddies or a big money game, and like, like there's that like, that's the kid, and all of us, but Patrick Reed and Seve are real examples of just. Mm they're right they're just they're all in on this fun game that
0: makes sense yeah absolutely well it's it's knowing that you know it is a game at the end of the day it's not it's it's not going to be all perfect perfect shots and stuff and i think you know savvy is just like what he was able to do and his sort of clarity of intention you know like he he sort of he let his body organize movement around clarity of intention and whenever he was in the trees is whenever he pulled off all the special shots and stuff so It's, you know, I I just wish we could see Savvy play now, I suppose. But, you know, it's, yeah. what else can you really say about him?
1: Have you noticed playing either yourself or with Ryan now as his caddy um, on days where he doesn't have it? Do you guys talk about, like, what he's going to go with that day? Um, Cause I think this is another thing that's very different about pro golf versus amateur golf is I did it yesterday. Like you spend the whole day trying to get what you had on the range yeah. versus thinking about, okay, well, this is me today. So what can I rely on? What am I going to go with today? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, I think. First of all, the idea that you can have it or or feel like you even have it more than about ten percent of the time is unrealistic, because mm. it's just you know, uh, like I Foxy, for example, would be he hits he hits his little bullet tee shots off the tee. He he plays golf, and that's that's why, to be honest, he can be quite hard to caddy for at times because you you know on the previous day, let's say it's flat, can par three, just you know, stereotypical example here, and he's like, oh yeah, it's a seven iron or whatever. The next day, he might want to hook a nine or cut a six. Do you know what I mean? Depending on how he's feeling. So it's just like playing golf. But the idea of any amateur golfer or, or pro for that's you know, it might be different if you're Tony Fina or something who's, you know, completely playing well every week. But the idea that you can feel like you have some sort of control and you, you can just do the same thing is unrealistic. You sort of have to accept the essence of it's complete uncertainty and you have to react. Some weeks it might be a little fade shot. Sometimes it might be a little bullet up the fairway. Sometimes it might be just absolutely flat out. Or oh, you you've no idea where it's going to go. But the only thing you can control is how much you commit to the shot, and that's something that I sort of encourage everyone to do. You know, if you can if you get fully committed to the shot, and you can clearly see in your mind before you hit the shot what a good shot looks like, you're giving yourself at least a chance, aren't you? You're not thinking about you know shanking it or something.
2: Yeah, Chris. Chris, this is so good because for growing I was growing up playing and playing in college. The best days come from when you just allow you allow (laughs) your your body, you know, just you just respond to what your body and your muscles are kind of telling you. And sometimes that's hitting eight yard draws with an eight iron. Mm. Right. And it's like, well, I'm a cutter. Well, that's not how I'm feeling today. And you know, sometimes it's that dog leg, right? And well, I got you know, I gotta hit a high fade. Well it's like, no, just maybe hit a low cut. Like that's hard and and ev i think when you talk about like working on things and you're trying to get the right swing and the fundamentals and then you're like well how am i supposed to play like that right but that really is what it's about because every day presents something completely (laughs) new and and you know and sometimes just unpredictable it's managing that
1: and that's tough that's a tough balance right guys because like most amateur players we always try and relate it back to like the 15 or 20 handicap, right? And most players don't know what shot they're going to (laughs) hit. Most players don't have the ability to know what shot they can hit. It's it's a total crapshoot. So, you know, it's I think that's one of the toughest balances is accepting the uncertainty, while also the uncertainty could mean a two way miss, right, which is the hardest thing to play with. So thinking about what an amateur could do to have a high level of acceptance um, while the results are so erratic right but i think chris you said it give yourself a chance so accept that your results are erratic you're a 20 handicap but a high level of acceptance at least gives your body the best chance to make a fluid motion swing
0: yeah well this is it that's that's a simple way of putting it and it's yeah 20 handicap golfer 15 handicap golfer if they're thinking about all these technical movements the tangible things that you can see improvements in the goal and I've seen it I remember playing golf with my dad and he's hitting his driver all over the place and he's thinking about this stuff of, yeah but I need to do this in the lessons like that hit the middle of the face just try and hit the middle of the face first and then if it goes way left when well, you know why something's happened but hit the middle of the face first you know there's no point toe hooking it and thinking it was your your wrist angles at the top of your backswing—you hit it off the toe first.
2: You're working on one thing, and you make a bad swing. Like, well, I just didn't do that move, and it's like, no, you're you're so caught up in just not trying to make solid solid contact. Like, the like, where's the club? Where's the club head?
0: it's it's never ending in golf. I guess that's why we love it. But like, it is—it's complete human nature to work. You know, complex solutions. We we want if you think of, you know Tiger dominated, right? If you think a Tiger his absolute best, right? He dominated the world of golf and he hit about 50% of fairways. But yet us three right now are significantly worse than him. And we want to hit more than that. We don't accept the essence of the game is completely, it's all over the place, you know?
1: Yeah, we had a coach on, uh, I think it was James Hong. We had a couple of weeks ago, who's um, in teachers in New York, one of the top teachers in America and focuses a lot on juniors. And he made a good point. He said, the game is designed for us to fail. There are literally bunkers put exactly where most of us want to hit it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And
1: yet we forget that, right? We, we want, I think it's because it's a game where we've seen perfect. We've tasted it. So, of course, we want to chase the dragon and see it every time. But mm. it's, uh but yeah, that's, that's a really good point and good thing for people to remember.
0: I think, and I think with course designs now, some of the, some of the courses that we're getting to, they're only designed tougher and tougher The same places like wing foot, for example, it's just, even when, even when you do, you hit the perfect shot, things can still go wrong, but it's sort of how you react to that and how you can sort of, you know, respond in the best way and, and deal with it and get up and down like Patrick Reed, that's, it's all you can do, really. But you just gotta embrace the game
1: for what it is. Chris, we got a couple more questions for you, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, no worries. Um, how do you feel about the uh, the rangefinders? As a caddy, is that going to save you a lot of time, or how do you think that'll impact the pro game?
0: Um, there's been a lot in social media about this recently, right? So much, much of what my thoughts is probably from what I've read, you know, because. It's fresh in your subconscious mind, I guess, but um, I, I can see how it can help. You're out of position, you know. You're like, let's say you hit a tree and you're all over the place and you're trying to get yardage, idiot front, one hundred two pin, whatever. That you know that, that could speed things up by a couple of minutes, right? You know, great. There you go. There's one good example. But like, if you're standing in a fairway and let's let's just say you've got one fifty pin, one thirty front, or whatever, like, it's getting the yardage in these situations is so simple that the rangefinder doesn't really matter anyway. It's the calculations between player and caddy is playing distance. What's the wind doing? Where are we trying to pitch it? Why are we choosing to hit the shot? Looking at how far, you know, for Foxy's longer hitter. So that those yardages would be a wedge. When was the last time he hit a wedge? What was the wind doing? What temperature was it? What's it going to do in the green as well? Because greens can be soft, firm, back to front, front to back. How's it going to react? That's where the now I'm saying a lot of stuff here. We don't actually discuss these all in the pre-shot routine, as you can imagine. But that's the thoughts that go through your head. The actual yardage is kind of like it's the yardage is simple anyway. Mm. So it's not really going to speed the game up, in my opinion. But it will be useful on the odd occasion when someone is doing some serious messing
2: about. I mean, pace yeah. of play has been a hot topic for years, right? And I don't know if mm. it's if it's as bad on the European Tour as it is on the on the PGA Tour, but um, I mean, that's what it all goes back to, I think.
0: Well, they call the, they call the PGA Tour the Phone. So I think the PGA Tour is a bit slower. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: but,
2: it's interesting, look, it's,
1: though, Chris, like most of what you just said, I think 99% of amateurs don't think about. It's very common. A lot of amateurs don't even have a rangefinder. But when yeah. you do have a rangefinder, you think, okay, 150, that's my nine iron or whatever. Yeah and that's what you hit but a lot of people don't think about well what what is the front of the green where is the flag is it going to spin back do do i need to favor a side like what you just said is a huge insight to me of what the pro golfers are thinking about and what the amateur is not thinking about
0: well yeah, they're, they're all the relevant information. You know, the thinking stage of the pre-shot routine, the thinking stage, and the trusting stage. Now, do you want to actively think about all these things before your shot if you're a player? Probably not. Let's face it, you want to just think, okay, right, what does a good shot look like here? Okay, it's a nine iron. Yeah, yeah I'm hitting that because of this. Re- okay, yeah, let's just commit to that. But all those other things are, are relevant to getting the accurate playing yardage and therefore being able to trust that for whatever various reasons, you know?
2: Yeah, but but Ev, to your point too, I think most amateurs, higher handicappers, should be thinking about what the front of the yardage is because they can't spin and control the ball. So that ball is going to be coming in a little more hot. You want to land it 15 yards, you know, you know, 135 to 150, and knowing where that back edge is because missing it long, as we know in golf, is just a death spiral every day. So I think there's absolutely something to learn there, being just aware of you know, the front part, the front part of the green and Yeah, in, in the back edge.
1: For sure. Well, Chris, I want to end you on this uh, selfishly, because like I've said, I've been to Scotland a couple times. And it's like my favorite place uh, that I've ever been. It's just the the energy, especially in St. Andrews, everyone's as big of a golf nut as me. <laughs> so there's a little bit of, you know, magic there. But I'm curious, you know, for whenever we can start traveling again, how would you define or compare Scottish golfers, Irish golf? I know there's a fun little rivalry um, and debate there, but for a traveler and someone that wants to go on a golf trip one day, how would you, uh, how would you compare the two?
0: Well, first of all, I can see your little Saint Andrews picture there on yeah. <laughs> your right shoulder. So he's yeah. not afraid to can... <laughs> talk <Yeah>. about
1: it. <laughs> Same ones in uh, uh, Sir Mac's office, by the way.
2: Except I haven't. Oh, right. okay. Except I haven't been. So.
1: Well, uh, there you okay. go. What does that say?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it? I think it was your dad, Sir Mac. He, he said his favorite course was Royal County kind of Down, and I was like, "Oh, really?" And and then he and he was like, "Yeah, but it haven't actually been or something."
2: So yeah. I remember. <laughs> but this gets back to this whole like a man, this American idea of your homeland of the UK and of golf is mythical out there right like us at least yeah so what are your yeah what are your favorite spots or what do you like
0: well just just to try and answer your original question there between Scotland and Ireland obviously I'm biased you know Northern Ireland for example Royal Port Rush, Royal County Down some of the courses we have here are just fantastic Um, what look I'll try and be honest here okay I think we have better we have the two best courses in Royal County Down and Royal Port Rush Scotland probably has 10 world-class courses. Do you get me? Yeah. So if you, were going on a, if you were going on a two-week holiday and you wanted to play 10 world-class, unbelievable courses, you're probably better off going to Scotland, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But we have the best two. So make it that what you want.
1: Interesting. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a fair assessment. Um, all right. Well, Chris, this was fantastic. Yeah. I think we gave the listeners a lot of good mental game course management um playing caddying i think there's a lot of good stuff is there anywhere you want to send people if they want to learn more about you uh
0: uh twitter i guess um yeah yeah twitter yeah i have a twitter page i have a an instagram page as well um i have a one performance instagram page i guess that would be the best place to see what i what i do
2: okay one
0: performance great
1: yeah any last final messages you want to leave people with
0: yes I'm, I'm really jealous to anyone who's able to play golf right now because all our courses are still shut but apart from that i'm probably focusing on that a little bit too much but no not really i've enjoyed it nice to nice to yeah. catch up you guys
2: we'll be following uh ryan fox and you and you know and
0: yeah hopefully um hopefully things get going pretty soon the european season i know uh, it's a bit it's a bit messy with hotel quarantines and stuff and he's actually in new zealand at the moment he's two weeks in a hotel every time he goes home and wow. yeah so it's this season's going to be all over the place but hopefully things pick up and uh, we've got the tokyo olympics coming up so look forward to that in the summertime
1: oh that'd be great yeah awesome yeah well best of luck we, chris we'll I'm be rooting excited you guys.
0: about that thank you Yep. Yeah, thank you
1: All right, take care. Great talking with you.